The Asmin and Butic Podcast starts right now. Welcome to another edition of the Asmin and Butic Show Podcast. I'm Jake Asmin. As always, joined alongside Dan Butic. Dan, great show today. We're going to be joined by Matthew McCarthy up at WBZ in Boston in studio for an interview on the baseball season. We'll really break down division by division, player by player. We're going to get to it all with Matthew McCarthy. In a big market like Boston, Matthew McCarthy should be interesting to get his take on the defending world champion Boston Red Sox. You know he's going to like his Red Sox. We'll see who else he likes coming out. Up spring training. Opening day is just two days away, and we're excited to have on the great Matthew McCarthy right after this. You are listening to the Asman and Butic Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Welcome to another edition of the Asman and Butic Show. I'm Dan Butic, joined alongside Jake Asman, and we're joined in studio by the play-by-play boys of the Portland Sea Dogs, Matt McCarthy. Matt, thanks for taking some time to join us. Oh, anytime, guys. Thank you so much for having me. We also have to point out that Matt works at WBZ up in Boston, of course, the WFN version up there. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit. I know you won the fantasy phenom contest. Just give our listeners, uh, you know, an opportunity to figure out how you got your first start at that position. Uh, so, as you mentioned, it was a, a public search for uh, their next weekend co-host, um, and they just had advertised it a whole bunch on the station. I was driving around. I heard it. I said, "Well, I'll just look into it." Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, and so I looked into it. I signed up. They assign you a date to go to a bar and audition. You read the sports hub headlines. It's your typical, you know, sports cast. I, I forget what the what FAN uh, calls it in New York, but it's your sports update. Your minute thirty seconds. You know your scores, your your news, etc. So go to the bar, read the copy, and then that's it. So I went to the bar. Uh, just so happened to be on my all-star break uh, from Portland, which was which was excellent. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I figured I was home. I might as well. Uh, so I just went to a local bar. There were 150 people there. I didn't think anything of it. Went up, did the read, thought it wasn't great, left. And I was like, well, that was a waste of two hours of my life. Got an email two weeks later saying, congratulations, you were the winner from that location. We have 10 locations, so you're one of the semifinalists. Come in for an interview. So I went in for an interview, thought I bombed the interview, figured, well, that was that was it. Got an interview at 98.5 in Boston. That's cool, major market. Got an email saying, congratulations, you're one of the four finalists. Come down to Boston uh, this upcoming Saturday for a 30-minute on-air audition, and, or, or audition, I should say, and then went, did it. Got the job, and it's amazing. I mean, you don't expect anything like that to happen. I mean, you know, 1,700 people signed up for it, so you don't you don't necessarily think you're going to be the one chosen out of 1,700, but it's it's still very cool. I know at WFN in New York, CBS Sports Radio in New York, it's a one-year deal you're, you're given. How does it work in Boston? Uh, there is no specific time. Uh, they said, basically, uh, you know, we could come in and bring you for two weeks, and if we don't think it's a good fit, well, thanks for coming in. Or, you know, if we like what you're bringing, you know, we'll keep you on. So uh, it's been seven months. I'm still on. Uh, you know, the program director told me uh, back in November, he said, hey, we like what you're doing. We'd like to keep you on the staff and, you know, let you grow with the staff. So, uh, you know, seven months, I'm still there. It's, I mean, it's, awesome. it's the radio business, yeah. so you never know. I mean, they could email me tomorrow and say, thanks for thanks for fun, but see you later. Um, you know, that's just the way the radio business works. But it's seven months, and I'm still going strong. So uh, and still getting consistent hours and, and just having a blast with it. I mean, you you can't have a better part-time job than just going in on the weekends and just BSing about sports. I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> now, Matt, before we get into uh, the baseball aspect of this, is the going to be the baseball preview show right here on the Asmund Budic Show. 
What's been the, some of the biggest stories up in Boston? How has the fan base reacted to, of course, Darrell Revis going from the Tampa Bay Bucks, formerly of the New York Jets, as you know, to now being a New England Patriot? Uh, I mean, people are very excited. I mean, you have the best cover corner or the second best cover corner, depending on how you want to look at it, depending on where you rank him against Sherman. Uh, e- either way, people are extremely excited about Darrell Revis. He's going to give them... Um, you know, obviously he replaces Aqib Tlaib, who when healthy was a top five corner in the NFL, but that's the question. And of course there are health questions with Revis as well, but uh, people are very, very excited about what Revis is going to bring to the table. And also, you know, the addition of Brandon Browner to give them a physical corner opposite of Revis, um, people are really excited about what the Patriots defense could look like this year because before injuries hit last year, the first five weeks of the season, they were pretty pretty darn good. I mean, they, they won them four games essentially early on in, in the beginning of the year. So I think people are very excited about what uh, they could possibly bring to the table. And, and if the Patriots' defense can stay healthy, well, maybe they'll finally have a good defense again. And people are, are excited about that because it's been a little too long. You see this as a one-year one year deal? You see them maybe bringing them back at the end of the season for a long-term deal? You know, I, they, the reports were that they want to kind of have a feeling-out period and then we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, if Revis comes in, spends a year... You know, I mean, he would have the opportunity to go out in the open market again. And can he make more than $12 million a year? It's possible. And, you know, I mean, the Patriots have shown in the past they're not going to, you know, devote all their resources into one or two players. That's just not how they, they run their, their system. You can agree or disagree with how they, they operate. But they don't really change, really, for anybody. I mean, I think... You know, getting a guy like Revis was seen as something really different that they've done. So, I mean, I'm sure they'll be very interested in retaining him. I think it kind of remains to be seen if it ends up being more than a one-year commitment. But we've seen them do this with so many players, bring them in for one year, uh, have that player go out on the open market and see what they can get. Uh, The most notable situation, of course, is when they traded for Randy Moss, and Moss redid his deal to a one-year deal and then went on on the open market, and the Patriots ended up bringing him back. So uh, it's not the first time that they've done this uh, with a with a Hall of Fame caliber player, and then they did it, they did it with Randy Moss. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works out with Darrell Revis. But everybody's certainly hoping they retain him. But again, I mean, he could go out in week two and tear his, tear his ACL. And then are you going to, you know, devote those ty- that type of money and those type of resources to a, a guy with an injury question? Well, maybe not. So I, I think it kind of remains to be seen, but as of right now, yes, I'm sure they'd love to have him for more than one year. All right, Matt, so now diving into baseball. Baseball's coming up to a, as we record this right now, we are currently two days away from opening day. I'm sure you're pretty excited as a big baseball guy. Now, before we you know, really get into opening day and preview some of the divisions and preview some of uh, you know, the storylines surrounding the season, what were some of the biggest offseason moves that you think cer- certain teams made that either helped their team or hindered their team going forward? Uh, the Tigers signing Joe Nathan. Look back at the ALCS last year. The Tigers didn't win the World Series because their bullpen was awful. I mean, the Tigers starting pitching in that ALCS was nearly unhittable. And the Red Sox still won the series, despite the fact that the Tigers' starting pitching was outstanding, simply because the Tigers' bullpen repeatedly imploded late in the game. So I think signing a guy like Nathan for the Tigers is is, is a huge, huge addition, because they didn't have that guy last year. I mean, Jose Veras was their eighth-inning guy, and you know he gave up the grand slam to Shane Victorino in, in the eighth inning of... of uh, or I believe the seventh inning of Game 6. So, I mean, their bullpen was such a huge question for them last year, so I think that was one of the biggest, and and kind of it wasn't talked about enough, just just based on how much they struggled. And also, I mean, I'm going to stick with the Tigers, that huge trade that they made with Texas, sending Prince Fielder to Texas, them getting Ian Kinsler back, freeing up some money for 
Miguel Cabrera, and apparently for Max Scherzer, who was you know reportedly turned down a deal. Um, but the Tigers needed a second baseman. They got a good player in Ian Kinsler. He's not Prince Fielder, but they opened up the money that they needed to spend elsewhere. And they also opened up third base for their top prospect, Nick Castellanos, uh, who they like. And they had the opportunity to move Miguel Cabrera back to first base, which is better for him long term because that's certainly an easier position for an aging player. And eventually they'll move him to DH as well, I would imagine. But, you know, so I mean, I look at the domino effect that that fielder trade made possible for the Tigers. They were able to re sign Miguel Cabrera. And you can agree or disagree with. The terms of that contract, you know, the biggest contract in the history of Major League Which Baseball. Which is what we want to get to. Ten yeah. years, $292 million. My question to you is, they didn't necessarily have to sign him now. He was locked in until 2015. Uh, that's ownership. That's not Dave Dombrowski. And going back to the Prince Fielder signing, that strikes me as a signing that a guy like Dave Dombrowski, who's an extremely good GM, would probably not have given $210 million to a player like Prince Fielder. But to me, that's ownership saying... We've got the best hitter in baseball. Let's sign him up for life. And we've got the money, so let's do it. You know, it's. I'm sure it will work out very well for them for the first five years of that deal. As like all ten-year deals. As yeah, like all ten-year deals. But you know, I mean, to me, I see ownership saying we have to do this because we have to keep Miguel Cabrera, and let's you know just do it now because we've got the money. We've traded Fielder. We've opened up that flexibility. So let's do it. So, you know, did they have to do it? No, but from ownership standpoint, I see where they're coming from. Not that I necessarily agree with giving anybody $300 million, especially going into their age 40 season, and especially a guy like Cabrera, who's a bigger guy, had problems early on in his career with basically coming into camp overweight every year and, and, and struggling with his weight, and a guy who's not necessarily athletic. That I mean, I guess that's the knock on Cabrera is that he's he's not too athletic. I mean, he's the best hitter in baseball. I, I don't think it's really, you know, hindered him too much. But So are there questions about it? Yeah, but I understand why Detroit did it. They, they almost kind of had to from an ownership standpoint. Last night, obviously, Mike Trout got six years, $144.5 million. Remember, they tried to work out a deal a couple of months ago, didn't work out. You surprised it got done this close to the season? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I think there was certainly interest in getting that deal done. And, you know, I look at that deal for Trout. What an excellent deal. Because he's he's not and it's a good deal for the Angels too because it's a six year deal. It's well, he's not only that... making twenty four million per year for a guy that, you know, right now a lot of people think that he's either the best player in baseball or the second best right behind as you just mentioned, Miguel Cabrera. But if you go and look at the way that deal is structured, at the end of that deal he's gonna have a couple of thirty to thirty three million dollar seasons when he hits free agency at twenty eight years, years old. Twenty eight years old. So I look at another ten year deal and uh, with the kind of money that Miguel Cabrera just exactly. Got. So I look at Mike Trout and he's going to make all this money, but it's not that ten year deal that's going to take him to age thirty three. It's going to take him to age twenty eight when he's going to hit free agency in theory in his prime. So I think it's a win win for both sides because the Angels aren't making that ten year commitment. We've seen it before. I mean, has there been a ten year deal that's worked out for a single team out it there? Doesn't not if you sign the ten year this person to a ten year deal when they're maybe they're looking at maybe twenty eight. 29 years old. Well, uh, the only tenure deal I could think of recently was when the Yankees signed Derek Jeter at the age of 26. That deal worked pretty well. Worked out well. Th third contract now with the Yankees. But if you sign someone in their 30s, as we've seen with A-Rod, as we've seen with uh, probably Robinson Cano, which we'll get to, and Miguel Cabrera, these tenure contracts, they just don't work. No, well, they don't. And, you know, I think that's that's part of the free agent market driving that. 
but also, I mean, you know, the Cabrera deal, as we mentioned, the Tigers might regret that in year eight or nine or even seven or six or maybe even five. Who knows? You know, it's, it's such a risk that these teams take. So I look at that Trout deal and I say, what a win-win for, for both sides because the Angels are going to spend more annually on a guy like Trout, but they're going to spend it over a shorter term. And I think we're seeing a lot of teams take that model now. Spend more annually on a guy. Okay, instead of spending $12 million, maybe spend $16 million on a guy for a year. But if you knock the years down, that's not going to hamper you know, and hinder these teams moving forward. It's the long-term deals that end up really causing problems for teams over the course of, of many years. It's not the you know, the extra money for a couple years that, okay, well, if he has a, you know, catastrophic injury, well, you're paying him for one year, two years, and that's it. And then he's off the books and your financial flexibility long-term is not hindered by that. So I, I look at that Trout deal and I said, what a win-win for both sides. Now, another big contract we just alluded to was Robinson Cano. That was probably, Cano was likely the best player on the free agent market this past offseason. Chooses to leave the Yankees and go signs with Seattle, getting a 10-year, $240 million contract at the age of 32. When you first heard about the numbers for that contract, what was your reaction? Absurd. Absolutely absurd. I mean, Robinson Cano is not a $200 million player. Um, I mean, maybe in the modern day Major League Baseball, not where they're years old. not at 32 years old. And for 10 years, I mean, for a guy who, you know, I mean, for a, a, a second baseman who, I mean, he cer- certainly can hit. They can move him to first base or maybe DH eventually. But, I mean, you don't expect him to be playing second base at age 42, right? Eight. Chances are probably not. Um, so a, a guy that, I mean, people have at times questioned his effort, you know, kind of dogging it a little bit down the line. That's neither here nor there. I mean, he's an extraordinarily talented player. But, I mean, if you're the Seattle Mariners, I mean, I, I just don't know if that's the way you go about doing it. But at the same time, I can also understand their their wanting to go out and get a guy like Cano because they are extremely talented pitching. They, I mean, they have a great pitching staff, uh, Hernandez, uh, Iwakuma, um, and of course, they've got uh, Taiwan Walker coming up as well. So, and they've got they've got a lot of talent in their upper minors. So they can pitch. They can pitch very well. Offense has been their problem. But also, you look at that ballpark. I mean, there's no way Cano's going to put up the type of numbers that he put up playing half of his games at Yankee Stadium as he is at Safeco, Safeco Field. Safeco Field is where good hitters go to die. Do you think maybe on a, on a management standpoint, Jack Sorensic obviously has been there four or five years. They haven't been able to get anything done. This is maybe his last chance to maybe get a winner to Seattle, a team that can contend? Well, I think that's a fantastic point. I mean, you, you have a guy who's probably on his last legs as a GN. They need to do something this year. Otherwise, uh, he's going to be moved out. So you have the opportunity. They have the money. I mean, they're they're a major market team. I mean, people, you know, when people's when Cano signed with Seattle, people were like, why would Robinson Cano go to Seattle? A uh, Seattle's a huge city. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a major major market here in the United States. So they have the money. They can make it happen. So you've got a guy in Jack Z's position, and he's saying, I might be on my last legs here. I've got to do something this off season and and, and do something big to maybe you know, give my team a chance. And well, in the short term, Cano's absolutely going to help the Mariners. Year 10, no, he's not going to. But in year one, yeah, they'll be a better team this year because of it. I'm sure they will be. Now, Matt, let's look at this American League East. Obviously, the defending World Series champs, as you know, being up in Boston, the Red Sox, of course, in that division. Did you like what they did this offseason? And do you think that this team could be just as good as last year's team? Yes, I do. Um, they have the depth in their minor league system uh, that's really going to come through and, and help them big time this year. They lost Ellsbury, which is obviously the big loss. He will be tough to replace. 
it remains to be seen what Grady Sizemore will give them, if anything. He's had an excellent if camp. Be, exactly. He's had a great spring. Great so spring training. I mean, if you're getting, you know, the Grady Sizemore pre-injury or close to it, well, that's a steal, but you can't necessarily count on that. And, of course, you have Jackie Bradley Jr. as well, who is one of their top prospects. Has hit at every level of the minors, has performed extremely well at every level of the minors, hasn't seen that seen that success at the big league level in, in a small sample. So he'll go to AAA and, and we'll see what becomes of that. But I do like what they did because they, they stayed the course. They understood that they have one of the deepest pitching staffs in all of baseball, not only at the major league level, but I mean they have three or four starters pretty much ready to go in Pawtucket at AAA right now. I mean they, they go nine deep. At their in their starting rotation, they go nine deep, and with the a- acquisition of a guy like Chris Capuano, I mean they have ten legitimate big league starters ready to go, uh, and their bullpen was outstanding last year. They get a guy like Andrew Miller back, who was their best lefty and has been their best lefty for the past few years before he had the freak foot injury uh, that that took him out of action for the second half of last year. So there will be some regression. I mean, I, I can't imagine that Koji Uehara will have the season that he did last year. I mean, he had, you know, one of the better seasons a closer has had in recent history. Uh, You know, you can't expect him to duplicate that effort, but I'm sure you can expect him to be a very good major league pitcher, which he has been ever since he has been in the big leagues. So, you know, they'll see some regressions with guys like Koji and guys like Shane Victorino, um, etc. I mean, you know, Daniel Nava might not hit 300 again, but they have so much depth. I mean, they're they're one of the deepest teams. The Red Sox and the Cardinals are the two deepest teams in, in Major League Baseball because of what they have on their Major League roster and in the level levels of the upper minors. I don't think it's any coincidence that they were in the World Series last year, so I really like what both those teams did that offseason and getting into the Cardinals as well, just because they realize what type of talent they're sitting on in the upper minors, the depth that they have, and they didn't go out and break the bank they didn't go out and change the course because they are set up for the long haul, both of those teams. Now, you talk about a team like the New York Yankees, who obviously got better this offseason with several acquisitions. How do you think they stack up against your Boston Red Sox, defending uh, world champions? I think the Yankees are improved. I just wonder how much. Uh, I, I have questions about their pitching. Uh, and I think in the American League East, you have to pitch because, I mean, two top teams in the American League East last year, the Red Sox and the Rays, you know, two of the three best pitching teams in the American League. Uh, you know, the Tigers up there as well with the, with their starting pitching, but we already alluded to the fact that, that they struggled in the bullpen. But, you know, you look at Boston and Tampa, and those teams can really pitch, and they have excellent bullpens, and they've got depth. I mean, you've got two teams that just keep churning out young arms. The Yankees haven't done that. Um, so I, I have a lot of questions about their bullpen. Their starting staff, if healthy, will be good, but there are questions about that. I mean, I think we've reached the point in Major League Baseball if you have five starters, that's not enough. You need seven. I mean, you need you need six or seven, you know, and maybe even eight. And you look at the teams that are successful, the Cardinals, the Red Sox, the Rays, the Tigers, they all had that depth. Uh, you know, the Tigers less so than the Cardinals, the Rays, and the Red Sox uh, as far as the depth goes. But you look at a team like the Rays, every time a pitcher goes down, well, it seems that they just, you know, manage to have some young arm in AAA that they can call up and and does a more than adequate job. I already alluded to the fact that the Red Sox have that as well. They go 10 deep at at starting pitcher. I mean, the Cardinals, look at their bullpen last year. I mean, the amount of guys, how many guys came out of that bullpen with 23 years old throwing 98 miles an hour? I mean, the the power arms in that system is just incredible. So those organizations' ability to, to churn out young arms is just, is really impressive. So Going back to the Yankees, that's my concern with them. I mean, their bullpen and their depth in the starting rotation. If they can stay healthy and they can patchwork together a bullpen, 
they'll be much better. But I, I just wonder how that stacks up compared to the Red Sox and the Rays just when it comes to pitching. The Yankees have a lot of potential. And I've, I've been a I would big agree. Yankee fan, having a chance to watch Absolutely. them. Tanaka's looked unbelievable in spring training. Yes, I understand spring training, but you don't expect this guy to come in and just bomb. Another thing, CeCe Sabathia this spring to pull up his numbers. His last three starts, 16 innings pitched, only seven hits allowed, no earned runs. He's got his fastball back up to around 90, 91 miles per hour, which is where it will probably be. He's lost his 95-mile-per-hour type of pitching that he's been able to you know, rely on the past couple of seasons. Awful season last year. If he bounces back, you get production out of Tanaka, you get the same consistency out of Kuroda and Ivan Nova, who a lot of people aren't talking about. That's the optimism for the Yankees. And, of course, one more player, one more pitcher that they have to rely on, too. Their number five star is Michael Pineda, who has looked unbelievable this spring training. He's won the fifth starter job. If they can get anything out of those guys, CC bouncing back and Pineda pitching very well, you're looking at a rotation, as you just mentioned, that could be about 60, but David Phelps being your backup number five, number six starter. Yes, and go back to 2012. Red Sox lose 65, 67 games. I'm forgetting the exact number. They go and win the World Series next year. The biggest difference, top two starters were healthy and effective. Uh Clay Buckholtz missed part of the year, but was dominant when he was healthy. And John Lester, they got the top two guys right. Last year, the Yankees didn't have, I mean, their, their top guy wasn't right. CC Sabathia wasn't right. And they lost about everyone in their and, lineup. Jeter didn't yeah, play. helping you. Exactly. Play. You know, I mean, I, when, I, when I look at that Yankees team, though, I mean, I, you know, I, I look at it, and it starts with Sabathia. I know they had a ton of injuries offensively. I get that. But. Ultimately, when it comes down to winning in baseball, the old adage is true. Pitching, what I like you know. about it, though, is the fact that despite all the injuries last year and despite CeCe Spathia having you know, probably the worst year of his career since his rookie season, the fact that they still won 85 games, you would think with the right offseason moves, which they I think they made, they're bringing in McCann is huge, I think Ellsbury, though I don't think that's the greatest use of resources, bringing a guy that you know, could potentially get injured, especially when you have a guy who plays similar in Brett Gardner. I think the bottom line is with this Yankees team, as long as the guys pitch, as you were just talking about, they should be in position to either win the division or be in position to get a wild card spot. Yeah, it, you know, it starts, as I said, it starts with the top two. It starts with, you know, what do you get out of CC Sabathia? Does he bounce back from last year? And Tanaka. I mean, if he is, you know, truly the ace that they, they expect him to be, well, then all of a sudden, if those top two guys are right, they will compete. If those top two guys are not right, I mean, I they think it simply, I think it simply comes down to those top two guys because I think they'll hit. You know, I mean, you know, with all the additions that they made, they will probably hit. But if those top two guys aren't right, I can't see them competing in the American League East with the amount of pitching that the Red Sox and the Rays have. But if they are right, absolutely, they will be absolutely in it. You know, I mean, I have questions about their bullpen, but when it comes to regular season baseball. It starts with your, your your starting rotation, and if your top two guys are right, well, then they'll be in pretty good shape. You surprised Stephen Drew hasn't signed yet? Yes, uh, yes, I am. Uh, you know, but at the same time, it it comes down to that draft pick compensation. I mean, you've got a team like the Tigers who are saying we have the guy we believe the shortstop our of our future is Jose Iglesias. Are we going to go out and sign Stephen Drew for one year and lose our first round draft pick because of it? Stephen Drew's a very good player. Uh, you know, I'm I'm actually quite surprised that the Yankees have not signed him. Uh, the Yankees would be a better team if Stephen Drew was at shortstop and Derek Jeter was at third base. It'll never happen because Derek Jeter is Derek Jeter, and I think they're actually probably a worse team because of it. Just because Stephen Drew is one of the better defensive shortstops in the game, he can hit. If you were to slide Jeter to third base, well, then all of a sudden you can move Johnson to second. You know, see who wins that job between Johnson and Roberts. I mean. Brian Roberts, when was the last time he played 100 games in a year? I mean, 2008, I can't, Yeah, nine. 2008, 9. I mean, I forgot the guy was even playing <laughs> baseball. So, you know, if, it, if I'm the Yankees, 
Steve and Drew makes all the sense in the world because they've already given up their top three draft picks. What does it matter if you give up your fourth? So, you know, and even if you can convince him to play second or third base, to me, the Yankees are, are the perfect team right now for Steven Drew. It, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. You would imagine that it would have happened by now, but it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen now. I mean, it's possible that Drew is waiting until after opening day because after opening day, if he signs after opening day, he will not be subject to, um, to the compensation rules next year. He cannot be offered a qualifying offer if he signs after opening day. He does not want to be offered a qualifying offer next year because, as we saw this year, he was offered a qualifying offer, turned it down, he doesn't have a job. He does not want that draft pick compensation tied to him. He realizes that, despite the fact that he's a very good player, one of the better defensive shortstops in the game, and has some pop, I mean, he's going to hit 260, you know, and drive in some runs, and he's got some power. What more could you want from a shortstop? You know, you play great defense and, and, and not be terrible at the plate, but he's not the type of player that you give up a first-round draft pick for him. We saw the Tigers, they weren't willing to do that. You know, when Iglesias went down, they went out and got Alex Gonzalez instead, who, you know, last time I checked is like 60 years old. So they just, they don't want to put that resources towards him, and, and that's unfortunately hurt Drew, but he'll sign eventually somewhere, and some teams can be lucky to have him, but it still might be a while. How much of a disservice does it do to sign after opening day? Do you think it, 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 do you think it hinders a player like that? Well, I mean, at this point... You know, he's already missed all of his Well, it really training. doesn't make a difference he, You know, so I, I wonder, you know, at what point does he say, maybe I'll just wait until after June, <laughs> after the draft. Well, you know but who at, his agent is. Well, Scott Morris. But, you know, at, at this point, does he wait until after the, after the June draft and a team could sign him and not have to give up a draft pick? Well, he might have to, but at the same time, you would then have to go to the minor leagues. I mean, he might have to go to the minor leagues already if he signs now to get his timing down because he hasn't been in big league camp. I know he's been working out, but still, I mean, he hasn't seen live pitching with pitchers working on their stuff. And, you know, as spring training goes on, you guys know the process. Pitchers start to work more of their repertoire in. And, you know, by that final start, they should be pretty darn close to what you're going to see early on in the regular season. So, you know, I mean, it's hard. I mean, that, that I can't imagine how difficult that would be for a guy to just you know, sign somewhere, say on Tuesday, and then be in a major league lineup on Wednesday. I mean, how difficult is that going to be? So uh, at this point, I wonder if it even makes a difference because he's already behind the eight ball anyways. Now, Matt, looking at, uh, we touched a lot on the American League so far. Give me some teams in the National League. You mentioned the Cardinals a little earlier. I heard you. What about um, teams like Pittsburgh, teams in that division, teams just overall in the National League, who do you think comes out of the National League this year? You know, I think the NL Central at the top is still very, very good. I mean, we saw last year. I mean, the Cardinals, to me, are the class of the National League. Uh, I know a lot of people are high on the Washington Nationals this year. I am as well. I'm among them. But I just look at the stable of, of arms that the Cardinals have. I mean, that organization, they're the best organization in baseball. And frankly, I don't even think it's close. I mean, the, their ability... To, I mean, they're in the playoffs every single yeah. year, no matter what happens. I mean, they are in the playoffs every single year. Part of it had to do with the fact that they were playing in a weaker NL Central for, for a little while. But, I mean, their ability to just churn out young pitchers like nobody's business is, is just outstanding. I mean, their, their, their farm system is, is extremely talented. So, I think the Cardinals are, are once again the World Series team in the National League. What about the Dodgers? Look at the team that they spent a lot of money this offseason. And, of course, for the first time in 15 years, I read that they actually have a higher payroll than the Yankees do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's hard to, you know, not pick the Dodgers to be very good this year. But... Ultimately, I mean, I, I just look at the Cardinals and, and I just think that that's a team that can beat you anyway. I mean, that you know, 
they can they can even hit home runs. I mean, they can play small ball. They can pitch. They've got the bullpen. So I mean, it's hard not to like the Dodgers. And and I think most people would would expect the Dodgers to be to be right in there as well. You know, a team that has spent a lot of money. And going back to my point that your top two or three guys in the rotation have to be right. It's hard to get much better than Kershaw and Grinky at the top of your rotation, right? I mean, Ryu's a good pitcher. Billingsley's a good pitcher. I mean, they, they've got they've got depth, too. I mean, there's an organization that, that has built up a lot of pitching depth. So the Dodgers will be right in it in the end. Uh, you know, I would not be at all surprised to see them in the World Series. So they'll be very good. That That's a tough division, though. I mean, you want to talk about a division in the Giants. And there's a team that can really pitch as well. I mean, you, you have to be able to pitch to compete in the NL West. I mean, the Giants, Bumgarner and Kane. I know Kane had a rough year last year. Can they year. hit, though, because the that was been the problem. they only won 76 games a year ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they'll be better. You know, I mean, the question is, do they have enough hitting to compete with the Dodgers? But I mean, again, if you can pitch the way that the the way that the Giants can pitch, you're going to be in it no matter what. I mean, again, look at the Giants last year; they won 76 games, but Kane wasn't right. I mean, it comes down to once again, their ace wasn't right. Bumgarner was very good. You know, the Tim Hudson signing. How do you not like that? I mean, he was pitching great for the Braves last year before. Great move. Great move. I mean, on on a short deal. I mean, he's going to be their third or fourth starter. You know, I mean, if he can get something out of Lincecum, well, that's great too. I mean, Vogel songs a good pitcher. I mean, again, there's there's another team in that division that can just flat out pitch. I mean, the Padres have a great young pitcher in Andrew Kashner. I mean, it, you know, you look at that division and pretty much everybody can pitch, with the exception of the Colorado Rockies, <laughs> which is why they'll be in fifth place. But you know, I mean, that that's such a hard division to call because I mean, I, I think everybody should like the Dodgers. But, I mean, ultimately, when you have such good pitching, and it goes back to the same thing as the American League East, you can make the case for a number of teams just based on pitching. I mean, that's that's a good division. I know you'd mentioned the, the, the Pirates as well. I mean, I expect them to be you know very good again, simply put, because they pitch. I mean, they had a great bullpen last year, and bullpens can change. You know, I, I think we, we all have very seen year it, to year. Very year to year. But, I mean, if they can get you know anywhere close to what they got out of that bullpen last year, they'll be in very good shape. I mean, they've got one of the best pitchers in the game uh, in, in Garrett Cole, best young pitchers. Um, Jameson Talian is coming up as well. So, I mean, I, I think the Pirates will be good again. Maybe they're not a playoff team because I think the National League has a lot of talent. I mean, a lot of teams that, I mean, you could make a case for how many teams in the National League to be one of those two. Oh, yeah, they're very close together. Alone, you got three teams in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Yep, and Cincinnati, exactly. I mean, and you've got, a, you know, a teams in the East like the Braves who were excellent last year. I mean, they ran into the buzzsaw that was the the Dodgers in the first round, but the Braves were very good. They've got some injury questions as well with their pitching, but I mean, the Nationals, people expect them to bounce back. So, I mean, there there's so many teams that you can make a case for in the National League. I think it's stronger than the American League, without a doubt, and, and they're just there's just a lot of talent. And that second wild card makes everything so interesting. We're going to jump to the NL East in a second, but just you real quickly, you mentioned Andrew Kashner and the San Diego Padres. A lot of people very high on them this year. What do you think? Well, they're high on them because they can pitch. I mean, I sound like a broken record, but you know, ultimately that's a team that plays in a pitcher's ballpark. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a place where good hitters go to die. Petco Absolutely. Park, Petco oh Park, God. Petco and Safeco. I mean, the two places you don't want to hit. Uh, you know, but again, they can pitch. They've got good young pitching. Uh, they've got a pretty decent minor league system. Question remains, can they hit? I mean, I, I can't, I would can't imagine that they would be a playoff team just based on the division they play in with the Di- or the Giants and the Dodgers. But again, you've got a team with some good young arms, um, and it's hard not to like you know how a team like that is built because they don't have the most talent in the world, but they realize 
we can get by because of our ballpark and because of our pitching, and they can be a competitive team. I think they'll be an interesting team to watch. Not necessarily a playoff team, but I think they will be competitive. Now we're going to talk about the NL East a little bit right now. It looks like a two-team two-team race. Excuse me. You have Atlanta. You have the Nationals. And then you look at the other three teams. You have the Mets. There might be a year or two away. Philly had an awful year last year. They didn't really do all that much to get that the much Marlins better. The Marlins are the Marlins. And the Marlins. They won 62 games a year ago. And of course, they're the Marlins. Yes. Who do you like in the NL East? Um. Ooh, that's tough. I mean, I would probably today just based on. Atlanta's pitching issues, they, they've obviously lost a couple of their starting pitchers. I would probably go with the Nationals uh, on a bounce-back year. But again, I mean, Atlanta, there's a team with a good bullpen. I mean, they can really hit. I mean, you know, Freddie Freeman is, is one of the best, you know, young power hitters, you know, power hitting first baseman in the game. You know, that that's a team that's, that's really built well. The way that the Atlanta Braves are normally built well, very balanced. Um, I mean, Kimbrell just signing him to an extension this offseason, certainly a good move for them. Uh, so I expect Atlanta to be right in the mix. The question is, what can they get out of their starting pitching? I think that's a, just a bigger question right now. They went out, they signed Irvin Santana, um, you know, who will join. I don't believe he's going to be in their starting rotation at the beginning of the year, simply put, because he was a late signing. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, but he will, you know, join them, you know, sooner rather than later, I would imagine. So just a few questions at the top of their rotation. So I'll go with the Nationals, but I think both those teams will, will absolutely be in the mix. And and the Mets, you just briefly mentioned, uh, they're a year or two away, but, you know, some of the talent they have in their minor league system. It's, it's important for Mets fans to be patient because Sandy Alderson is doing the right thing. He understands the talent he has in his minor league system. And Syndergaard is just, is just unbelievable. Rafael Montero, very good pitcher as well. Uh, saw him last year in Binghamton. Was always very impressed. Um, you know they have a lot of and, and a lot of other guys who you know could really be good bullpen arms for them. Uh, so the Mets are a year or two away if they can just get some health at the top of that rotation. But I mean, if Harvey gets healthy, if Wheeler stays healthy, if Syndergaard turns into the pitcher that they think that he's going to be, I mean, those are three darn good pitchers at the top of your potential rotation a year or two away. So uh, not this year for the Mets. You kind of keep saying, wait till next year, wait till next year, but it's coming eventually. You know, we had you on our spreecast about him, I would say two months ago, and you talked a little about Noah Syndergaard. You, I think you believe, uh, you said you saw him pitch live. I didn't see him pitch okay. live. I was listening to the game, uh, you know, So, but our manager said, right, that's Sin, said. said that Syndergaard was the best pitcher he had seen wow. in the Eastern League in three years, and that means he saw pitchers like Harvey, Wheeler. The list goes on and on. A lot of good pitchers have come through the Eastern League over the past few years, and he thought Syndergaard had the most electric stuff out of all of them. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a guy that I trust. Uh, obviously, he's seen more baseball than I've seen in my life, and, and I mean, he's a you know, professional manager, and he's a AAA manager now, and when, when he said that, you take notice when, when people in the game say that this kid's good and you've got, you know, guys that you trust like that. You, you take notice when they say something like that because they don't always say that, those type of things. I mean, they're not, you know, managers and scouts in baseball. They try not to get too enamored with players. But when you have somebody who comes out and, and really praises somebody like that, uh, you think he's probably pretty good. How long until the Mets bring him up? They just designated him to the minor league camp. How long do you think it is until the Mets bring Where him up? Where did they designate him to? Triple A. He'll, be, he'll start okay. off the year at Buffalo. Yeah. Um, you know, start out in Las, Las Vegas, not Buffalo. Yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, they... they had that. I always thing. forget. Yeah, yeah. The, they'll try and move back east. I, I know. I yeah. can guarantee you, they don't <laughs> want to stay out in Vegas. Um, well, I mean, you know, it depends. I mean, he certainly looked like he was close to major league ready in Double A last year. So if he goes to Triple A, performs the way they expect him to, 
They could see him by midseason. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it remains to be seen. You never know if guys have little hiccups, etc. But uh, Cindergaard's got electric, electric stuff. And and if he goes to AAA, I don't think that the jump between AA and AAA is going to be too much for a guy like Cindergaard. Uh, the jump between AA and AAA is, is really you're just facing more guys who have seen big league action. You're facing older guys who aren't necessarily... You know, big league players, the, the, the kind of the prototypical 4A guys. Experienced, they know how to play the game, they just might not have the skills that get them all the way to being a major league regular. So that's the difference. You know, a guy like Syndergaard is just going to learn half, how to have to pitch to guys who have seen a whole lot. You know, I mean, that, and that's, they say, the biggest difference between single A and double A is in single A, you don't ever see guys who have been in the big leagues. Almost never, unless they're on a rehab or for whatever reason. In double A, you're seeing guys who have been in the big leagues every single night. And those guys know how to play the game. They might not have the skills or the talent to get them up to that but major league there. level. But they've been there, and they know how to play the game. And you just see even more of that in AAA. Um, you know, so, but if you dominate at the AA level the way that Cindergaard did, that's a sign that you're a big league player. If you can dominate at AA, you're probably a... a very good big league pitcher in his case. So AAA, it's just going to be a matter of honing his skills, pick, you know, improving on the things that he needs to improve on a little bit, and then it's, it's probably off to New York for him. Maybe by midseason. That would be, if you put a gun to my head and say, when's he coming up? I would guess midseason. Now, Matt, before we let you go, we got to get a World Series prediction out of you. Oh, cool. Who's playing in the Fall Classic this October, and who do you like? I like a rematch. Uh, Red Sox and Cardinals, simply put, they are the teams that pitch the best and they have the most pitching depth. If you have players, if you have pitchers that go down, they've got the arms to, to fill that void. Uh, I, I would certainly not be at all surprised to see that matchup. Uh, so that would be my pick. But I mean, as I said, you can go with so many picks. I mean, how many of those teams in the National League? It's so deep. You could, you could pick the Dodgers. You could make a case for the Giants. You could make a case, you know, for the Nationals. I mean, you could make a case for so many teams. I mean, in the in the American League too. I mean, we barely even scratch the surface on what Texas did. People are probably still high on them. I mean, Detroit, as I said, was was a bullpen away last year from going to the World Series and very well winning it. Um, the Rays can pitch better than anybody in you know. I mean, they've got one of the best pitching staffs in the game. So, I mean, there's so many possible combinations. There's so much parity in the game now, which is great because you know, at 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't necessarily like that. So it's great to see so much parity in baseball. But despite the parity, I'm going with last year's matchup just because I just think that those two teams are still the best. Matt, thank you so much for coming on giving us a few minutes of your time. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Always a blast. WBZ's Matt McCarthy. Matt, once again, thanks for coming on. Uh, We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Once again, thank you to our guest, Mr. Matthew McCarthy, up at WBZ up in Boston. Matt's a great guy, an Ithaca alum. It was a pleasure having him on in studio to break down some baseball right before opening day. Yeah, especially his Boston Red Sox getting his take on the AL East. It was a lot of fun. To the surprise of no one, though, Dan, of course he's picking the Red Sox of to course. go back to the World Series and, of course, win the World Series as well. How about a well. rematch, too? He likes the Cardinals. He likes the NL. rematch, but what was interesting is he mentions a lot of parity being in the league, but in the end, he still likes those two teams. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to get his take, and uh, it was a lot of fun, so... Good to have him on. That's going to do it for us. Make sure you turn into future shows. This has been another edition of the Asthma Beauty Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Asthma and Beauty Podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.